today on Hardwired. Well, why, Jeff, would God give the devil limited access to go into his presence and accuse the brethren? You know what the answer is? I don't know. I'm not God, but I do know that he has that access. And what does he do? He accuses you and me. You are listening to Hardwired with Pastor Jeff Wickwire, the founder and senior pastor of Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Maybe you've noticed that our culture is pretty messed up these days, which makes people feel anxious and filled with questions. They want peace, but have a hard time finding it or making it last. Well, Pastor Jeff is going to share in the message today about how you can finally be filled with hope, security, and most importantly, that peace you're looking for. We know that you're going to enjoy the message, but you can also listen to it again or any of the messages anytime you would like at our website, hardwired.org. Let's get right to the message. Here's Pastor Jeff to tell us what's coming up today on Hardwired. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Hardwired. Thank you so much for joining us and making us a part of your very busy day. Well, we're going through the book of Revelation on Hardwired, and it's been a great series. I've loved teaching it as much as I know you've loved hearing it. And today we're going to talk about something so very important, and I couldn't think of a better title for it than Back to the Future. Because in the Revelation, as John received it, sometimes he's taken back into history, and then he's brought from history back into future events yet to occur. So I've just called this today Back to the Future, and we're going to see where John is taken into more future events, more predictions that are going to fall upon planet Earth as the Great Tribulation unfolds and the Book of Revelation is fulfilled before our very eyes. So let's go right to the Word of God, grab your Bible, something to write with, and let's take notes, and let's see what Back to the Future means as we go more into the Book of Revelation. Last time we closed out with John's vision of a woman. If you were here last time, you remember the woman illustrated Israel who gives birth to the Christ child. And John also saw a great red dragon waiting for the woman to give birth to devour the child. You recall that. And that was just this powerful picture vision that John was given of what had already happened, the birth of Christ and how Herod energized by the devil, tried to take Christ out by ordering the death of every male child, two years old and under in the, in the town of Bethlehem. Rachel weeping for her children because they are not Jeremiah prophesied. But Jesus was protected and uh, lived to fulfill his ministry. But it goes to show you anytime something is of God, the devil's gonna try to devour it, attack it, stop it in its tracks. Amen? Now, now we will see that John is transported back to the future as the narrative picks up three and a half years into the middle of the Great Tribulation. So now we're three and a half years in to the seven-year Great Tribulation, all right? The new world ruler, who is the Antichrist, has suddenly severed his seven-year covenant with Israel and slain the two witnesses in Jerusalem, all right? A lot is going on at this time. Now, heretofore, up to the first three and a half years, up to this middle point, it's been peaceful. Antichrist cut a peace treaty with Israel and the Arabs. He brokered it. And now there's peace. 
but it's only temporary. When they say peace, peace, then comes sudden destruction like a woman in travail. So that's what goes on. Now, halfway in, we saw last time the Antichrist walks into the rebuilt temple. The temple will be rebuilt. He walks into the Holy of Holies and he shocks the Jewish nation by saying, I am God. When he does that, that's the abomination that makes desolate. That's the abomination of desolation. When he does that, all hell literally breaks loose on the earth. And it unleashes a persecution against the Jewish people we're gonna read about in just a moment. Israel, the woman, comes under persecution at the three and a half year moment, the three and a half year midpoint. The Jewish people get persecuted maybe worse than ever in their whole history. And many Jews in that day, John tells us, and we'll read the verses in a moment, but many Jews in that day are gonna flee when he does this, I am God. They will go, we've been fooled, we've been deceived, we've been lied to, we've been led along. This is, uh, we've been had. He never believed in our God, Yahweh, Jehovah, never. He was all about himself, and now he's sitting here saying he's God. This is crazy, and they know. And so the Jews flee to a place in the wilderness, maybe even hundreds of thousands of those who have still not received Jesus yet as Messiah. But this happens, and they flee. They flee to the mountains because Gentile forces, the combined forces of Antichrist, begin to persecute the Jew and attack them. John says they're going to be protected for 1,260 days. Let's read verse 6, Revelations 12. And the woman, that being Israel, fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Powerful. Now next, yet another shift from earth to heaven. Heaven takes place as John observes an incredible battle underway. Verse seven, then there was war in heaven. Now this is real important. Remember I told you John has taken to heaven, back to earth, to heaven, back to earth, sometimes back in times and mostly forward in time. But now, He's being taken up into heaven again, and he's shown this. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against who, everybody? The dragon. And his angels, that would be the demons. These are fallen angels. The dragon is always Satan. Verse 8, and the dragon lost the battle. Amen, he always does. Can we give the Lord praise? He loses. Yes. And he and his angels were forced out of where? Out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Now we know who it is for sure. The one deceiving who, everybody? How much of the world? The whole world. We're under the deceptive sway of the devil. The one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. He's been kicked out of heaven, out of limited access. So while the Jews are in flight, Satan is totally expelled from heaven, and he's denied the limited access that he, right now, he enjoys, as revealed in Job chapters one and two. Remember, Satan approached, it says the sons of God approached God, um, sort of like they were just giving a report, and the devil went in with them, and God looked right at the devil and said, what you been up to? I'm paraphrasing. Is all walking up and down on the earth. 
I've been roaming just like Peter says he does. He prowls about. And so there was limited access. Now you say, well, why, Jeff, would God give the devil limited access to go into his presence and accuse the brethren? And you know what the answer is? I don't know. I'm not God, but I do know that he has that access. And what does he do? He accuses you and me. The word devil is diabolos. And diabolos means accuser, literally one who hurls objects at. He hurls accusations at believers. He's the accuser of the brethren, diabolos. He goes before God and says, look how imperfect they are. Look look how they're messing up. And they're your kids. You're telling me they're your kids? Come on. Remember later in the New Testament, he went before God and said, I want Simon Peter. I want to sift him like wheat. We know that that happened because Jesus said it did. Satan has requested Peter to sift you like wheat. Requested from who? The only one who could let him do it, God. But I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith doesn't fail. And when you have been restored, you will strengthen the brethren. So Jesus knew he was going to mess up, knew he was going to fall. And he just prayed, I, I pray that it's not a fatal fall. I pray that he comes back. And he comes back so good, he strengthens everybody else. Amen? Now that's our God. Now you think Jesus hadn't done something like that for you and me? He hadn't had to intercede? Because he sees what the devil is up to. We don't. But you think the Lord has not gone before God and said, I'm praying for them. They're about to get hit. And I pray that they do not give up. They do not walk away. Their faith doesn't fail but they return. And when they return, they're going to be more humble, more mature, more godly, more full of faith, more full of thanksgiving, and they're going to strengthen the brethren. All right? So when this happens at the midway point of the revelation, Satan's going to lose that limited access. He's not going to be able to go to God's presence anymore. And that infuriates him as we're about to read. He's confined to earth, For the final 1260 days of the tribulation, three and a half years, he's confined to earth. Heaven rejoices. Verse 10, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God. How often, everybody? Day and night has been cast down. I got to inject this right here. That's why we need to be so careful we don't join ranks with the devil and accuse one another. Because if we run each other down, undermine each other, attack each other, uh, gossip against each other, we've joined league with Diabolos, the accuser. No, we want to be on Christ's side saying, Lord, yeah, they really messed up. But, but for the grace of God, I go. So, Lord, please Uh, Help them be restored and help me to not fall. Keep me strong. Amen? So look what happened. The accuser of our brethren, he accused them day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him. I want everybody to read it with me. You know this. And let's, let's start at verse 11. And they overcame him. Well, that was about five of you. Come on. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb 
and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Satan hates the blood, and he hates your testimony. That's why he's always trying to wreck it, because he hates it. Amen? Now, therefore, verse 12, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, and woe to those in the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows he's only got a short time. He's thinking, my time is almost up. We've been through the seal judgments. We've been through the trumpet judgments. Only the bold judgments to go. My time is coming, and I am so furious. He kicked me out of heaven completely, where I don't even get to go and accuse the brethren to God anymore. We'll get back to Pastor Jeff in a moment to close out today's program. But first, I want to share something about our program. Our mission is actually very simple, to share the life-changing good news of Jesus Christ in a way that gets hardwired into your life. And we trust these messages from Pastor Jeff aren't something you can only listen to and enjoy, but that they inspire you to share with others. The message of the gospel is something everyone needs to hear. And that's why it's a priority to us. And you get to join us in this important mission. Call us at 877-884-3111 to say you're in. Or drop us a line at our website, hardwired.org. Well, here's Pastor Jeff with the rest of today's program. The dragon is now filled with great wrath. How does that anger manifest itself? Remember, we're mid midpoint here, three and a half years in. He proceeds to energize the Antichrist with supernatural power, because this is where the Antichrist makes his move, goes into the temple. I am God. Chapter 13 paints an incredible picture of how bad it becomes on our war-torn, sin-infected, demon-infested planet Earth at this point. Revelations 13.5 says, Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. We're going to read this again in a moment, but just want to show you what happens here. What does Antichrist begin to do? Because he is the beast. When you read the beast, it's Antichrist. When you read the false prophet, it's the Antichrist religious sidekick. When you read the dragon, it's the devil. So here are the beast, Antichrist. What's he doing? He's speaking blasphemies. We're going to read this over and over again. He has got a vile mouth. You talk about gutter mouth. He goes way beyond filthy language and he's blaspheming God. Blasphemia, the Greek word, to speak against the Most High. He's not just saying cursed words in God's name. He's, he's talking directly to God, cursing him, calling him names, blasphemy, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle. And he even blasphemes those who are in heaven. Who's that? Us. He's on a blasphemy tirade. Daniel the prophet also predicts the Antichrist would possess a vile, blaspheming tongue. He describes him as the little horn with a mouth speaking pompous words. He's arrogant. He is disrespectful, dishonorable. You talk about narcissism. Listen, he's going to take narcissism to a level no human has ever gone. I am God. John continues with the description of this vile man who Paul the Apostle calls the man of sin, the son of perdition. Now, there are people out there 
who say, well, Antichrist is only a symbol and a type because there's all kinds of Antichrists in the world. Yes, John says many Antichrists have gone out into the world. First John 5. Many Antichrists, plural, have gone out into the world. But what he's saying is people that are directly against Christ, he puts them in the plural, but he's not talking about the Antichrist. The Bible specifies and makes a distinction. Paul says, not just a bunch of men of sin, because that would be everybody, but he says, the man of sin, the son of perdition. Revelation 13, 7, and the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation and all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. This is called the time of Jacob's trouble. Now we're coming back to chapter 13 in just a moment, but let's wrap up chapter 12. Satan releases his wrath at the midway point on God's chosen people. Chapter 12, verse 13, when the dragon realized he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman. And we already know this is Israel who had given birth to the male child. That takes away all speculation. But she was given two wings. Now, this is uh, metaphorical. She was given two wings. In other words, she was given the ability to make an amazing, miraculous escape. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I was in rush hour traffic this week, and I wished for this. Yeah, I was in it on a motorcycle, and it was like 115 degrees out, and I was stuck and couldn't go anywhere. Just had to sit there and sizzle like a lobster. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. But Israel is going to be given, metaphorically speaking, two wings, like those of a great eagle, so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. Here we got three and a half years again. So God's people are going to be supernaturally protected during this time period. Remember, many Jews in that day will flee to a place in the wilderness, hundreds of thousands of them. Now we go to verse 15, chapter 12. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth. But the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. I think that could include the rest of the Jewish people, but also perhaps tribulation saints because we know in the book of Romans, for instance, we are told by Paul in Romans 9 that we have been grafted into the vine, grafted into the covenants that came to the Jewish people. So essentially, we're spiritually Jewish, okay? So that could be part of who her children are. All who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Satan hates all who name the name of Christ. And this is likely a, pr a prediction of a flood, a violent persecution. Again, John is being given uh, metaphors, illustration. We know when it's metaphorical, it's clearly metaphorical because the dragons don't gush her forth water out of their mouth. So it's, it's clearly metaphorical. What's it talking about? A flood of persecution because it's coming out of Satan's mouth. Nothing good comes out of Satan's mouth. How do you know he's lying? If he's talking. 
He's the king liar of all time, father of lies. All other lies were spawned and are spawned by him. Okay? So to me, it's very clear, this picture of, of the dragon trying to flood the woman with this water gushing out of his mouth. He's trying to destroy Israel with persecution and accusations and vile pronouncements. Now, as we begin chapter 13, the Antichrist himself, the dreaded beast, is going to step onto the world stage. You ready to meet him? Here we go. Revelations 13, verse 1. John, a vision again, I stood on the sand of the sea, and looking out at the sea, I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. There you have blasphemy once again. Now, when it says rising up out of the sea, this is a description of how the Antichrist will appear to rise out of the vast sea of humanity. That's what it's saying. Daniel tells us that he'll come on the scene quickly, suddenly. He bursts onto the world stage. Daniel tells us that he's a flatterer. He works people. He's a manipulator. He works politicians. He's a talker. He's a smooth talker. He is a mesmerizing talker, a charmer. And he will rise out of the sea of humanity. Something will distinguish him that will suddenly place him there. And I think it's the brokering of the peace treaty. But something will happen that places him suddenly. He'll come up out of the sea of humanity with everybody looking at him. Look what he just did. What a brilliant guy. What an amazing problem solver. Because we're about to be told the whole world's going to go after him and even worship him. So this guy's convincing. Hitler was a type, for instance, mesmerizer. You see the films of him yakking away the way he did, and, and tens of thousands of Germans spellbound with a wicked, evil anointing. It's going to be the same thing with this guy, squared to the 10th power. Chapter 13 goes on to describe the beast king, who is elsewhere called the Antichrist. In 1 John 2, 28, the man of sin and son of perdition. In 2 Thessalonians 2, the little horn king. In Daniel 7, verse 8, the prince that shall come. In Daniel 9, and the abomination of desolation. In Matthew 15, just for a few examples, the Antichrist is described as having seven heads. John tells us later in chapter 17, what that is. The seven heads, John writes in verse 9 of chapter 17, are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And there are also seven kings. Well, there's only one place known as the city of seven mountains, right? Where? Rome, city of seven hills. That's Rome. Now, that's why I've always personally believed that Antichrist will arise in Europe. He'll come out of Europe. Um, and let's go on and see what it says. The place of seven mountains is Rome. The kings he mentioned, 10 crowns. That's talking about kings. Crown is for authority. The kings he mentions, the 10 crowns, are political rulers of a revived Roman empire. And we're going to get into that more, like I've said in chapter 17. So I'm, I'm giving you little teases here. We're going to cover this in depth in chapter 17. But here you've got this figure, this political figure, rising up out of Europe, out of the area of Rome, 
in clearly a revived Roman Empire, and he has 10 nations that join hands with him in a wicked confederacy to work with him these last three and a half years of the tribulation. Then John also mentions seeing 10 horns. And again, in chapter 17, let me read what it says. John tells us flat out, the 10 horns which you saw are 10 kings who have received no kingdom as yet. In other words, they're not here yet. When John wrote this, they're not there. But they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. Now listen to the way it describes them. They are unified. These are of one mind. And what are, look at what they do. They will give their power and authority to the beast. They bow to the beast. We appreciate you listening today to Hardwired with Pastor Jeff Wickwire. Every program we do has one main thing in mind, and that's to share the hope and good news of Jesus Christ to people who need to hear this message and hardwire the teaching into their daily life. That's what this ministry is all about. So if you've been encouraged by the message, we would love to hear about it. Pick up your phone and give us a call at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. Or go online to our website at hardwired.org. And be sure to bookmark the web address to your favorites folder so you can come back often. Also, would you consider getting on board with us as a faithful ministry partner? Your valuable contribution makes a big difference to us in helping to get the message of the gospel out through this program to people everywhere. Your generosity along with this ministry is reaching people in a way that you may never have the ability to do on your own. So jump on board as a hardwired partner by calling us at 877-884-3111 or go online to hardwired.org, 877-884-3111 or hardwired.org. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you so very, very much. Have a great rest of the day and thanks for listening to Hardwired. Hardwired.